This morning, we're talking about this sentence that I gave to Jonathan. The biggest enemy of doubt is truth. And it's something I've just been chewing on for a while. See, doubt is so pervasive in our culture, especially in regards to our faith. In fact, doubt is one of the tactics that Satan uses most often to trip up Christians. How many of you have doubted what you believe? Okay, yeah, we're in good company here, okay? Um, I definitely have. This morning we're going to walk through doubt to truth. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture, and I'm going to give you a few walkaways. But first, let me just give you some clarity on the word truth, because we're going to use it a lot, and I'm going to give you our main passage for today. So when I use the word truth, I'm talking about truth that's true for all people at all times, everywhere. I'm talking about objective truth. And then our main passage for this morning, the the biggest uh, thrust today, is uh, John 8, 31 to 32. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So that's where we're headed this morning. Have you ever had a moment where life was just too good to be true? You're just in that and you're like, I cannot believe this is all happening to me right now. Now, granted, that's happened to me at my wedding. That's happened to me every time uh, uh, one of my kids was born. Uh, But a, a specific one... Uh, my wife and I had talked a lot about someday taking a cruise. Oh, wouldn't it be great someday to take a cruise? Oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. But that's not going to happen for a long time. Someday we'll take a cruise. Well, our 10-year anniversary came, and we're like, you know what? We're doing it. We're going to take a cruise. Man, that would be, just be so nice, you know. To we, we love our kids, but sometimes we love them from a distance. Um, and, uh, man, you know, just a, a few days without the kids... And everything is just like there for you on a silver platter, you know, like you pay one fee and boom, like everything's included. You know, we're like, man, this would be just awesome. So we sign up, you know, we, we, we get it all paid for. Um, we go down the day before and, you know, we're, we're there and we're ready and we're driving up and, and there's the cruise ship, you know. And, and they're always so much bigger than you think in your head. For those of you that have been on cruises, you're like wait, seriously? Like, it's that big? And, and we, we walk up, we're like, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we're here. And then, like, you know, they actually let us on. And you know, we, we, we get on, and we're like, I can't believe we're here. And we walk in, and there's this huge chandelier, and it's just, like, gorgeous, and I can't believe we're here, you know? And it was just this, this amazing, amazing experience. And then Laura got seasick. And it kind of just went downhill from there. So, bummer. But, for those few moments, <laughs> we were in this spot where, man, life was just too good to be true. Let me bring you to another couple where life was too good to be true. Uh, pull out your Bible and open it up to Genesis chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one home. Now you do. Genesis chapter 2. Here's a time 
where life was too good to be true. Genesis 2, starting in verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Life's pretty good for Adam. Now, he hasn't had it for very long, but what he has, like, wow, just, I mean, if you start picturing this garden that he's in, beautiful, amazing. And then it goes on to talk about these four rivers and, and gold and all these precious stones and, and it, just imagining the beauty of all those rivers coming together. And then God puts him in there and, and uh, says, hey, we need to find you a helper. And sends him every single animal. It says, give him a name. And so Adam goes through and names every single animal. And by the time he was done, I'm sure he was sick of looking at animals. And shocker of shocks, down in verse 20, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. I think God knew what he was doing. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, and keep this in mind, all these animals running past, animal after animal that he's naming, he says, this at last, after going through all of that, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Talk about life being too good to be true, right? I mean, that's as good as it gets. Wow. I don't know about you, but God didn't make my wife out of one of my ribs. Amazing. Amazing. And so here they are, and enjoying, and life was too good to be true. In fact, it was perfect. But, but this serpent shows up, who we all know to be Satan. And he says to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say? Here, we are introduced to doubt. Doubt is introduced. And here they were, Adam and Eve, living the perfect life, living life as good as it possibly could be. But then they start to question, well, is it as good as it could possibly be? Is God holding out on us? Maybe there's something better that we're missing. Maybe there's something better that we're not able to just grab onto. Was I lied to? Maybe God didn't give me the best that I could have. 
See, here we have doubt, and we, we start to see why doubt is a problem. Doubt can alter your course. It can keep you from doing something you should, or it can push you towards doing something you shouldn't. See, here, doubt pushed Adam and Eve to do something they shouldn't. We're going to call that diverting doubt. Doubt that takes you in a direction you shouldn't be going. See, you're headed in a certain direction, and you know this is the direction you should be going, but then you doubt it, and you head in a different direction instead. I doubt that all of God's words are true, so I'm going to disobey some of them. I doubt that these rules at work, at school, on the road, so on and so forth, are really necessary, so I'm going to break them. Diverting doubt. But I've also watched doubt keep people from doing things that they should have. Let's call that paralyzing doubt. So we've got diverting doubt, which is pushing you towards something that you shouldn't be doing. But then we've got paralyzing doubt, which is keeping you from doing something that you should. I doubt that my friends care about me, so I won't spend time with them. I doubt that I'm good enough to serve in this ministry, so I won't volunteer. I doubt that this person will be happy to hear what I need to tell them, so I'll keep it to myself. I doubt this person wants to hear the gospel, so I won't share it. Satan introduces doubt. And then also Satan challenges truth. He says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He lobs her up an easy one, but he does it with craftiness and with intentionality. Because he knows what he's asking her. He knows that she knows that's not true. But he's tricking her. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. See, in Eve's desire to uh, relay what the truth actually is, she, she swings the pendulum way too far to the other side and adds on to the truth that God has already given her. And now all of a sudden, what is true seems utterly ridiculous. Because she's taken it too far. See, God said, hey, don't eat of this. She says, well, he said, don't eat of it and don't even touch it. Sound familiar? The Pharisees did this all the time. Adding in rules to make it even harder. And, and they're missing out on the truth. So here, Satan is challenging truth. And he's introducing doubt. Well, what about you and me? What are you doubting? Maybe we think life's pretty good. Maybe we think life isn't that great. Regardless, we have doubts. Am I important? Do I matter? Am I valuable? Do I have something to offer? Do people really care about me? Am I wasting my life? Is this really God's word? Did Jesus really die for me? Knowing what you doubt, knowing what you try to battle, 
is necessary so you can know how to fight that doubt with truth. But doubt doesn't matter when there isn't anything on the line. Let's talk about when doubt matters. See, I can say, I doubt the Giants are going to make the playoffs. Well, A, I think we all know that. And, and B, who cares? I mean, sure, like, some people love baseball, but in the grand scheme of things, who cares? But I doubt that God exists. I doubt that I have value. I doubt that people really care about me. It matters when your life is on the line. Doubt matters when your life is on the line. <clears throat> there was this tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. And uh, he, he constructed a tightrope across Niagara Falls and said, I'm, I'm going to walk across this tightrope from the U.S. to Canada back and forth over Niagara Falls. And so he sets it up, and a huge crowd comes out to watch. And sure enough, straight across, to the amazement of the entire crowd. He said, well, that was good, but I can do better. So he straps on some stilts and goes across. And everyone's jaw is just, we can't believe what this guy is doing. So then he blindfolds himself and goes across again. And then he grabs a, a stove and a frying pan and, and carries it across and carries it out to the middle. And he sets it up and turns on the stove and takes the frying pan and pulls out a couple of eggs and makes a little egg scramble. And there's, there's a boat down below, you know, the, the mysteries of the mist or whatever that thing was called. And he lowers the eggs down so the people can chow down and have a tasty little breakfast. And then he picks up the stove and walks across the rest of the way. And then he takes a wheelbarrow and puts 350 pounds of cement in the wheelbarrow and pushes it across. And everyone's just in amazement. And he says, how many of you think I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and wheel them across? And they say, yes, of course you can. And he says, okay, who's getting in? <laughs> All of a sudden, there's silence. Doubt matters when your life is on the line. I'm sure anyone would be quick to volunteer their friend. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm not going to volunteer me. Because it's my life that's on the line. See, we see this uh, in our good buddy Peter. Flip over to Matthew chapter 26. See, Peter was solidly committed to Jesus. Peter was a fisherman and Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And he drops everything and commits the next three years of his life 100% to Jesus. Day in, day out, he's with Jesus. Jesus goes this way, so does Peter. Jesus goes that way, so does Peter. Peter is with Jesus. Peter is sold out for Jesus. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is walking on water. Peter says, hey, I want to do that too. And out he goes. Peter's there with Jesus, just sold out. And Jesus and his disciples are sitting and 
having a Passover meal together. And Jesus says this to Peter in verse 34. Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now this is a guy that's been with Jesus day in, day out, for three years. Committed to him when so many others walked away. That must have hurt him to his core. How could you say that about me, Jesus? And what's his response? Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Well, we know what happens next, don't we? We pick up the story in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard... And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. See, here his doubt mattered. It killed his pride. Made the last three years seem like a waste. It rattled his foundation. Destroyed him. But what did he do with his doubt? Yes, at first he had some paralyzing doubt. I I know I should be standing up for Jesus, but I... I just can't. I think they're going to kill me. I think they're going to do stuff. I I, I just can't. But is this the last we hear from Peter? Of course not. He became one of the founders of the church. Now let me give you your first walk away. Walk away number one. Bring your doubts into the light. Bring your doubts into the light. We'll see Peter do this shortly. But it's important to talk about your doubts. Be honest about them. In Job it says this, With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. With Him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are His. God uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. See, sometimes we we wrestle with doubt and we want to keep it to ourselves. I, I don't want people to know that I wrestle with this doubt. They might look at me weird. They might treat me differently. They might think less of me. I've been a Christian for so long, I should know the answer to this. So I'm not going to tell people that I doubt this. I'm not going to tell people that I wrestle with this because I've been walking with Jesus for so long. But see, then all of a sudden, it just sits with you. 
and nothing comes of it. Bring those doubts into the light. Talk about them. That's the first step towards facing them. Now I want to talk about one more type of doubt. Motivating doubt. See, both paralyzing and diverting doubt are negative reactions. But we shouldn't have to be afraid of doubt. Doubt your doubts. Let me say that again. Doubt your doubts. So when you have a doubt that you're wrestling with, start asking yourself, why, why do I doubt that? Why is that here? Challenge it. Fight it. So when we doubt, which we all will at times, we should allow it to motivate us. So let's go back to Peter. See, Peter immediately knew he shouldn't have doubted. That's why he wept. But when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter sought his forgiveness. We see that in John chapter 21. Peter comes and wants to restore his relationship with Jesus, wants to make things right. And Jesus walks him through that. And then after Peter was restored, his faith was strengthened. And off he goes and, and helps the church get going. And he still had doubts moving forward. We see some of these throughout the New Testament. He wrestled a lot with uh, spending time with Gentiles, and he wrestled with uh, eating food that was formerly unclean, and now God's saying it's clean. And he had different doubts. But he allowed those doubts to motivate him towards truth rather than to paralyze him or divert him. So doubt should motivate us. Motivate us to move, to seek truth, to know truth. As Dave has said before, doubt is a great place to visit, but an awful place to live. The biggest enemy of doubt is truth. So let me give you walk away number two. And before I do, just let me touch on the fact that yes, there is objective truth. See, we live in a society that is so about subjective, subjective truth. Hey, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. Can't we just love each other? Let's stop arguing and work together. There's so much hate in this world. I just want people to love each other. It's subjective truth. But there is objective truth. Is there a God? There is an answer to that. Either there are many gods, or there's one God, or there's no God, or you can be your own God. But there is a correct answer to that. So don't let yourself get sucked into the trap of, hey, you do what you do, I do what I do, and let's just get along. No, there's objective truth. So walk away number two is pursue truth. Pursue truth. When someone challenges something you say or believe, pursue truth. When you read something that sounds wrong or off, pursue truth. See, I mentioned before that doubt matters when your life is on the line. The same works for truth. Truth matters when your life is on the line. Jesus points to this in 
The passage I read at the beginning, John 8, 31 to 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth that matters is the gospel. The words of Jesus. Shortly after Jesus says this, we see this in practice when Jesus heals a blind man. Flip over a little bit, just over to John chapter 9. And that's where we're going to hang out the rest of our morning. John chapter 9. I love this. This is so good. John chapter 9, we're starting in verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is setting up, you guys got to pay attention. This is going to be good. Watch this. And then Jesus goes and he heals him. And I love the creativity of Jesus and how he heals people. He never does the same things twice. He always keeps people guessing. Well, how's he going to do it this time? He always does something different. This time, what does Jesus do? He spits, uses his saliva and the dirt to make some mud, picks it up, slaps it on the guy's eyes, and then says, hey, you got to go clean yourself off. <laughs> you got something on your face. <laughs> and, and so off this guy goes, and he washes in this pool. I, I wonder, like, what, what is he thinking as he's walking over to this pool? Like, did that guy really do that? Is there mud on my face? Like, what is going on? And off he's walking over, and he still can't see at the time, and he washes, and he can see. So here he is, and now this guy can see. And all these people around are like, well, hold on. This guy looks like that guy that was sitting, you know, and, and begging, and was blind, but this guy can see. Is it the same guy? No, 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 no. They, they just look like each other. It's not the same guy. Are you sure? Are you sure? And they're, they're asking back and forth. So there's all these questions that are going around. And then he's brought before the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the, the religious elite at the time. Well, you guys got to see this. I think this guy was blind before, and now he can see. And so they, they, they bring him before the Pharisees, and more questioning ensues. The Pharisees question him. And after questioning him, they go, Oh, we didn't get the answer we want. Let's bring in his parents. So they bring in his parents and they start questioning him, them. And then they go back and they start questioning him again. After they didn't get the answer they wanted from his parents. We pick this up in verse 24. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind... Now, I see. <laughs> they said to him, I, I love this, this is so good. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Which he's already answered multiple times. He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> I love it. And then there's more questioning from them, more answers from him. They eventually don't like his answers, and they kick him out. 
And then we pick up in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And here's this guy who's been blind since birth. And he's looking in the face of Jesus. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now from this story, we learn a few things about approaching truth. So I'm going to give you three things about how to approach truth. Here's number one. In approaching truth, be honest about what you don't know. Be honest about what you don't know. The man says, I don't know, twice. And as he's standing in front of the Pharisees, he might have wanted to show off and and make himself look good. I mean, this was the religious elite. And they're asking him questions, and he could have been, well... (laughs) Well, actually, I think, you know, based on his body type, and da, 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 I think he's, you know, he could have stood there and speculated, but he didn't. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But don't we do that often? Don't we try to sound smarter than we actually are? I'm really good at that, because I'm just not that smart. <laughs> I've worked myself into corners more than once, talking about stuff that uh, I don't know. And it always ends in one of two ways. Either I send the person away with bad information. (laughs) Well, I think the Chrysler Building was built three years ago, actually. Oh, did you know the Chrysler Building was only built three years ago? How'd you find that out? Well, Ben told me. Yeah, don't listen to Ben. Um, (laughs) So either that happens, or I work myself into a corner where I have to go, yeah, I actually don't know. And then I look like a fool, um, which I'm also really good at. Uh, (laughs) I've learned the hard way. It's always easier to be honest. I don't know. It's a beautiful phrase. It's a great phrase. Use it. Be honest about what you don't know. But that's not where the conversation has to end. Second, be hungry for what you don't know. Be hungry for what you don't know, especially when it matters. Yes, I don't know are words that you're totally allowed to use in conversation. But they should be coupled with, but I'll find out. Or, let's find out together. Let's figure this out. Or, depending on the topic, here's why I'm not going to find out. I don't know, and here's why I'm not going to find out. Because not all things are worth the effort to find out. The key is to know what's important. To know when it matters. What mattered to this man? We just saw it in what we read. His Savior. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? This is what i got to find out. This is what I have to know. This is what I'm going to pursue. He kept his eyes on what mattered. Thirdly, Be confident in what you know. This is the most important of the three, because this is your foundation. The blind man does this multiple times. In verse 15, he's given a direct question, and he shoots out a direct answer. 
In verse 25, he says, Here's what I know. Though I was blind, now I see. I know this and I'm confident in this. I'm really confident. Because these, these eyes have never worked before. In verses 26 and 27, again, he points back to what he, what he knows. In verses 31 to 33, there's a great little nugget in here as he's debating with the Pharisees and talking with them. And here are these religious elite who know scriptures in and out, who've memorized most of the Old Testament, if not all of it. Memorized. And he's having this theological discussion with them. And though he has a limited theology, he has straightforward theology. And he points to what he knows. Now we do see in 34, they kick him out because they don't like what he has to say. They don't like the truth that he brings. Speaking the truth may be met with resistance from time to time. But that's okay. Hang on, to the, hang on to truth. See, confidence in what you know keeps you grounded. When my kids come to me in the middle of the night having a nightmare, I point them to what they know. Hey, are you safe? Yes. Was that just a dream? Yes. Was that cat actually coming at you and trying to kill you? No. That's right. You're okay. When you have someone challenge your faith, come back to what you know. When someone you love hurts you, come back to what you know of them. This is the hardest when your emotions are involved. Going through a, a rough breakup or a divorce. Dealing with a rebellious child. Hearing that a friend is spreading rumors about you. Dealing with the loss of a loved one. Facing a chronic illness. All these things make you doubt what you normally know to be true. Is God there? Does He care about me? Does He have my best interests at heart? So when what you know is challenged, don't start with questioning whether you were right. When the things that you know, when your foundation is pushed... Don't begin with, oh gosh, maybe I was wrong. No. Rather, start with what you know, or start with why you know this to be true. How do I know that this is true? Why do I know that? This is your foundation, what you build the rest of your life on. What you come back to when everything else is falling apart. David does this often in the Psalms, and I just want you to listen to a couple of psalms. Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Life's not going very well for David. He's feeling attacked. And then in verse 3 he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. He comes back to what he knows. When life is coming down hard on him, that's where he turns. Psalm 4. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David does this over and over and over and over again. He's going to his foundation. 
His foundation is the base of what he knows. And it's a strong foundation. See, foundations we try to build on aren't strong enough. They're shaky. You can build your relationship. You can build uh, your life on your relationship with your spouse or your significant other. But then issues arise, life gets underway, and you realize how weak of a foundation that is. You can try to build your life on your own self-worth, and then you fail. You can build your life on your friends, and then they abandon you. You can build your life on your grades, and then you get that dreaded A-. minus, Or you fail. Or you, you finish school, and you're like, hey, look at how great I did. Look at all my wonderful grades. Well, now what? You can build your life on your career, and then you lose your job. You can build your life on money and things, and then they don't satisfy. For me, growing up, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school, and I built my life on how strong and capable my faith was. Well, I have such a strong faith that that I can make God do this, or I can make God do that. Watch this. I'm going to pray for this, and then God's going to do it. But it was all me. It wasn't, God, I'm seeking you, and I'm asking you for this, and I'm okay with you saying no. No, it was all about me. Whatever you've built on, if it's not on Jesus, that foundation will eventually fail you. See, Jesus offers us a strong foundation, himself. Over and over, he promises that he'll be with us. John 10, 27, it's 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. John 11, 25 to 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And over and over and over through the scriptures, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Stop trying to build on your own foundation. Come to me, all who are late. Labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here's the third walk away. Know the truth. Know Jesus. My foundation is in Jesus. And I know for many of you, that's the same. And I say this to you to encourage and to remind you. Because, yes, we have that foundation, but it's so easy to add to it. I'm building on this and I'm adding in a couple other things. As Jesus is talking to Pilate, knowing he's about to be crucified, he says this. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
I know and have confidence in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that He was buried, and that He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. I know that. I'm confident. In fact, uh, on your handout is a little bit about minimal facts that prove the resurrection of Jesus, along with a couple resources to help you know with confidence that Jesus rose from the dead. That's something that you can know, be sure of. And because I know that, I know that Jesus rose from the dead, then I can know that God has the power to raise Him from the dead. And if God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then He has the power and the desire to communicate with us through the Bible. And there's loads we can know about the reliability of the Bible. And if I know that the Bible is reliable in God's Word, then I know a whole lot of other things. See, the biggest enemy of doubt is truth. The biggest enemy of doubt is truth. So when you're fighting that doubt, come back to truth. Come back to things that you know. The biggest truth out there is the truth that's all about Jesus. Pursue truth. Let it help you when you face doubt. Know that it's okay to doubt, but let that doubt motivate you to know truth. To know your Savior. Let me pray. Jesus, You came to bring truth. Real truth. Truth that matters. Truth that changes lives. God, forgive me for keeping that truth to myself. God, forgive me when I know it, but then I don't do something about it. God, I'm thankful that I can know that you're real. That I can know that you're good. God, I just pray that this would encourage us. Help us to have confidence so that when we doubt, we can use that doubt to motivate us towards the truth that we know. That you are who you say you are. You came to this earth paid the penalty for our sins and didn't stay dead. But you rose again, conquering sin and death so that we can have a relationship with you. Thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen.